Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Scott Galloway. How are you, Kara? Good. I'm really good. I'm all dressed up today for our session because, and I have plants behind me. Do you see the plants? Now I'm, I'm trying to like better on the room writer situation. No, I don't care. Yeah, what's going anything. on with that background? It looks like, like Dis, Dis, <laughs> Disney and hell. The Disney. It's lovely. Carousel of hell. Look at, look at my plants. I've got a, a succulent there. I got some greenery. It's very nice. Hmm. I didn't put any pineapple, but I have nice. a pineapple rug. In any case, um, I'm so sick of being home, Scott. I can't even tell you. Yeah. Um, what is going on? There's so much going on. Some we have a correction. It, I have a oh, correction. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go so ahead. on last week's show, you correctly identified the CEO of Wondery yeah. as Hernan Lopez, which is correct. Yes, I am correct a lot of the and time. And then I said, because I had read an excerpt from his very thoughtful book the morning that morning, and his name was on my brain, I said that, uh, no, it was Hamantaneja. Mm-hmm. Hernan Lopez is the CEO of Wondery. Yeah. Montaneja is this really thoughtful and hugely successful venture capitalist, also has a thoughtful book on healthcare called Unhealthcare. Mm-hmm. So I want to apologize to both for getting their name wrong, their names wrong. But there's a there is a silver lining here. <laughs> I don't and that know what is, it is. I should just get out right now. Well, go ahead. Here comes the other mistake. Here comes the other mistake. Uh, so word is that yeah. Hernan's deal flow of SaaS-based healthcare companies has skyrocketed and uh-huh. Hamant has been offered the rights to several Oh. A serial podcast crime dramas. Oh my God. See what I did there? No, I, flip, I do. This is an opportunity just... for them to reinvent their lives. What is my name? That's what I need to know. Do you know my name at all? Carol or... Channing. Carol Channing. <laughs> you know, one time, let me just tell you very briefly, at an All Things Decoms, we were making millions of dollars for Dow Jones. Mm-hmm. She called me Carrie Fisher, the publisher of Dow Jones. What's wrong Karen with that? Has. Carrie Fisher. She introduced is, me as Carrie Fisher. She's talented and, you know. I understand ca- it, but I felt like I, so I came I on with two donuts on names. the side of my head. I look like that right now, Carrie Fisher, but nonetheless, I'm just saying. I was the host yeah. of the show, no, the Dow Jones show. <laughs> I want to do some Carrie. research into this because there is something about getting older and being a narcissist and on both those things where you just, I, I will be in a room of friends and I'll look around and think, if someone forced me to to say all their names right now, I couldn't. <laughs> I mean, I just true. there's that part of your brain just gets hey switched you. off. Hey you, um, hey buddy, hey buddy, how you doing? Yes, hey, it's boss. true. It's hey brother, true. yeah, that's yeah. bro, bro, bro. Um, speaking of, there's so many news things we have to talk about really quickly, there's and we have so much on. to do. Uh, obviously, there was some oh, really wait, what, big what? news. I'm sorry, what? I didn't. All right, you. okay, go ahead. My least favorite person in the world and my favorite person in the world yeah. have COVID nineteen. Who? Rudy well, Giuliani. Guess. Rudy Who's, Giuliani. Okay, that's easy one. I my least favorite person it. in the world. I was like, what is this vampire doing not to get it? And who is my this favorite person in the world also announced this person has it? Who? I don't know. Oh, come on. Stephanie Rule. Oh, Stephanie Rule. Yes, Stephanie Rule got it. Yes, I that know. That means everybody has it. Because there are if there are two people <sighs> that could be less too. like each other, it's those yeah. two. Yeah, but she's she's sort of in Trumpistan where she's staying, so I can see how she got it. There were a lot of people not wearing masks in her neighborhood, she was telling me. Like, there was a lot of, like, COVID denial around where she's locating herself. Yeah, anyways, I, but the good news is yeah. supposedly Rudy Giuliani was airlifted to Walter Reed and Son's piano repair. <laughs> And we're we're hoping we don't wish ill, Rudy. But honestly, no, no. you're such we're, a super smart. He ma- he tried to get a woman to take off her mask during the hearing, and he had COVID, full blown COVID. It was ridiculous. No, we're hearing. wishing him a, a speedy and total landscaping. Yeah, 
Right, right. Come on, that's good. (laughs) By the way, that's the genius of Zach Bornstein and Best Call, two Twitter accounts that I constantly steal their humor. I'm going to try to bring this down a little bit. Did you read the two pieces on Tony Shea? One was in Forbes, one was in the Wall Street Journal. I'm curious uh, to get your take on that. I've thought a lot about that. (sighs) The facilitation of billionaires by sycophants is not a small thing. Like, it Mm -hmm. just depends on who you are. I mean, that's one of the the reasons. I used to know a lot of them quite well, and Mm -hmm. I just can't stand standing around. They have so many sycophants around them. It's really kind of depressing. And and when you push back, they're confused and surprised that you do because they're so Mm -hmm. used to, yes. Tony is such a gentle soul and so is such a searcher, you know, for someone who was delivering happiness. Actually, he was seeking happiness because he had a sadness Mm -hmm. to him. Um, And that's why he's, you know, he wasn't, I would, when he did that book, I was like, you're not the happiest person. I know you seem rather troubled. You know what I mean? Like in terms of looking for happiness, he was always sort of searching for the next thing. And so I think, you know, the combination of, of COVID and isolation, he was somebody who didn't like isolation. Um, he had people around him all the time, like mm-hmm. all the time. I think it must've been a whammy. And then, you know, the drug use, which he'd already, mm-hmm. you know, he drank quite a bit. Um, and, and so I think it all, it all, um, Added up and the, and the, the not being able to reach him, his friends were not able to reach him was really critical in terms mm-hmm. of, of bringing him down. And it looked like he was being his, he was with his family in New London. And so I think they were moving him to some sort of uh, facility to get off of all this stuff. And that's when this happened. I think it looks like they were making moves to remove him from Park City where he was and he paid people to be there. The whole thing. Not a surprise at all, unfortunately, but so sad that he couldn't make it out and get to get to some recovery place where he could have um, healed himself. Yeah, I've been I've been thinking a lot about this. I know a lot of of men in that sort of cohort, and that mm-hmm. is people who are very wealthy and to a certain extent suffer from a bit of a Peter Pan complex. And that is, right. if you recognize success at a very young age, especially as a male, you're able to outsource a lot of the more substantive, meaningful parts of your life. Mm -hmm. You can have, I'm not saying they're fake friends, but you attract a lot of what feel like meaningful relationships. Uh, Men like drugs. I think they're they're sycophants. You'd have to see them. They Well, I think it's probably a continuum. Uh, They get paid. Everyone around you is paid. That was the one quote that Jewel had, which was, if everyone around you is getting paid, something is wrong, you know? Yeah, but, but there's some ahead. people. Well, anyways, Jewel, case in point, he did have some, he did have some very genuine real friends. You also, I, I think men with early success can uh, go through an extended stage of arrested adolescence around drugs, sex, experiencing, you know, experiences, and not feel the temptation or not feel the urge to at some point, for lack of a better term, settle down and develop more substantive relationships, yeah. specifically a family. Mm-hmm. And I think you run the risk of waking up at a later stage in life and realizing you're kind of alone. Yeah. And it's very tempting when you, uh, and I'm not comparing myself to Tony Shea, but I had a 10-year period after I moved from San Francisco to New York where I was able to, I had some money, I was single yeah. living in New York, and the world was sort of optimized for me to stay that way. So what got and, you out? Uh, you know, I, 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 I uh, fell in love and had a son. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also when my mom died, I realized that if you don't establish those sort of substantive relationships, you can have, you know, 
I've been watching The Crown. You can move into Buckingham Palace. You can surround yourself with beauty, but it can still be very depressing. Mm -hmm. And I think he's a cautionary tale to young uh, and older successful men Mm -hmm. that you can't outsource everything. And at the end of the day, your ballast for happiness really is deep, meaningful relationships and specifically family. I have found, and I I would not have said this 10 years ago. He had some very significant relationships too, though. I think that that this COVID thing got him more and more isolated. He did have a lot of friendships. He was not, you know, like a lot of people, in a lot of ways when they're surrounded by sick events, I'm like, good, they're assholes anyway. Like, what the hell? This guy had some significant friendships, and I think he managed that COVID allowed him to isolate himself and then got taken advantage. I, I don't blame these people because it's Tony's, this is Tony's right. journey, right? He makes um, his own I, decisions. But I, but I do think when people are licking you up and down all day, it has an effect that you have to, Well, let me know. ask you this though. Let sure. me ask you this. Mm-hmm. And I am not a guy that says you have to be married to be happy. Do you think if you had a wife and three kids, there might have yes. been other gating factors? I think a factors? lot of his friends moved that way. They had sort of a party-hearty world, and then a mm-hmm. lot of them moved on, and he didn't. He didn't. Well, that's, that's my point. Most of us do move on at some yeah. point. I don't know. I don't know if he would have moved on. I think he was just one of those seeker, searcher type of personalities mm-hmm. with lots of money. And so um, I'm thinking about writing about it because it is, it is not uncommon. It's just some of them can resist it. But even... You know, and then later, some of them then have a midlife crisis because that's classic, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, I know about a dozen. Oh, trust me, I know about those. Who too. <laughs> did the baby thing and then with their wa- first wives, and now they're on their second wives. Yeah, I, I should not zip myself out of this situation because that's what I did. Yeah. Uh, but I, that, you know, you're not having the mother of all midlife crises. You're <laughs> having the father of all midlife exactly. crises. <laughs> Um, but I think it was just, it was, uh, it was so sad. I'm, I gotta, I'm trying to figure out what to say about it that was unique to him. But there was something about him that was. Mm-hmm. Um, That's how you know. Broken a little bit, but not. You know what I mean? I think a lot of very creative people are broken. I don't a little see bit. how anyone, if you read like the shit that was going mm-hmm. down toward the end, I don't yeah. think there's any way you can say there wasn't a piece of him that was very broken. Yeah, but but it was he used it to his advantage before, and then when things got hard, it was the brokenness won out. I mean, the seeking and his creativity were related to his seeking and. Questioning. I, I think it's much more basic than that. Mm-hmm. I think okay. every study on happiness all comes down to one thing. The well, key to happiness, the key to emotional health mm-hmm. is deep, meaningful relationships. And yeah. my sense is his lifestyle resulted in a series of broad, but not that deep and not that meaningful relationships. Yeah. Restlessness is a disease. I have relatives who are restless. You know what I mean? But it's interesting because I do think the last part of it is when the, the Silicon Valley is particularly because these people are so wealthy, do let them get the act, act wacky when it's just weird. I remember. That's just true of rich gonna, men in general. Yeah, but I'm not going to say who it was, but someone was very clearly distressed and walking around one of my conferences with his shoes off in a circle. It was crazy. And I was like, that's fucking nuts. Everyone was like, oh, it's just him. I'm like, no, that's nuts. Like what? Mm-hmm. The, and then it proceeded to do a bunch of things at the conference that were crazy. And Everyone was like, oh, it's just him. I'm like, is it? Because it seems troubling to me. <laughs> like, I was the right. only person going, um, okay, but that seems like he needs some mental health time with a professional. So, anyway, th- it's really hard to control a, a billionaire is what it Very is. Sad. All right. All right. Last one little thing. Uh, President Trump is, speaking of sycophants and suck-ups, uh, he's building a grand finale exit from the White House. Apparently, the plan would be a departure on Marine One and final Air Force One flight to Florida where he'd host a political rally during Joe Biden's inauguration where he's apparently going to announce his 2024 fund. Just what a 
friggin' horse's ass this guy is. Like, first of all, don't give him our taxpayer money to do that. Like, mm-hmm. drop him off, like, somewhere before he gets to where he's going so he can hire his own damn plane. Secondly, people are dying and, and need intervention right now on lots mm-hmm. of things that we're not going to get the vaccine until a while. Uh, whether it, 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 it's just like, I just can't even believe this is what he's spending his friggin' t- I guess, I guess I can. This, this is just, ugh, God. God. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, it's like this notion. It's, it's shocking, but not surprising. And, uh, I just hope young people are registering that democracy isn't something we should take for granted, that the peaceful transfer of power isn't something we should take for granted. Yeah. That people and, and men should have a code around how right. they behave. The behavior, yeah. Did you read the note that uh, 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 Bush left yeah, for Clinton lovely. after he lovely. lost? Lovely, I mean, it was Classic. just like— Well, he knew how to write thank you notes, right? He was a man yeah. who wrote thank you notes for a living. But it was but, very heartfelt. I mean, that couldn't have been easy to do, right? I mean, let's be clear. Uh, Bill Clinton didn't win that election. Ross, po- Ross Perot won it for yeah, him. And yeah. George Bush couldn't have been the elder—couldn't have been Honestly, more of a statesman. This guy, like— drop him off in like Sarasota or wherever the hell down there is hardest to get to wherever he wants to go and let him drive home, drive himself home. It's just like the money he spends on this endless fucking bullshit is crazy. Like I just was, uh, I just was like, fuck. Yeah. We're in agreement. We're in agreement. All right. We're going to get onto a big story. Speaking of which. Uh, Let's talk IPOs. Uh, Mm Mm-hmm. Airbnb plans to boost the proposed price range, which is great for its initial public offering. I think they should be doing that. The company is expected to go public this Thursday. The mm-hmm. range would now be between $56 and $60 a share, yeah. up from $44 and $50. You were right, Mr. Uh, Galloway. The range would give the home rental company a valuation of as much as $42 billion. Meanwhile, DoorDash is expected to go public the day before on Wednesday. Uh, the Wall Street Journal is reporting that the company plans to price its shares at the high end or above its range of $90 to $95 a share. That would give the delivery company a valuation of $36 billion. I don't think it's comparable to Airbnb, but it's close. That's a close valuation. Mm-hmm. So far this year, more than $140 billion has been raised in initial public offerings on U.S. exchanges. That exceeds the previous year record high in 1999. And there's a lot more on, on there's a ton, like a firm, a whole bunch of them. So what mm-hmm. do you think about the IPO situation? And they're trying to get the most money because there was that big push in Silicon Valley to get more money and not let these pops happen. They're trying to prevent a pop, right? Yeah, so that that's the first obvious thing is that their current shareholders have said, why are we deluding ourselves just for a branding event and giving a bunch of money to the clients of Morgan Stanley and yeah. Goldman Sachs with right. kind of an unearned pop, right? Right. And and leaving money on the table. So they're both raising the ranges. They will both absolutely, in my viewpoint, even with these increased ranges, have very successful one-day gains. I just mm-hmm. these yeah, companies are both seen as disruptors. There is a contrast between them though. And um tomorrow night I'm teaching my last of twelve brand strategy classes for mm-hmm. my NYU Stern class. And I I think there's a lesson here and why I like Airbnb more over the long term than than DoorDash. And that is, I think you have to look at every company and every strategy and every capital allocation decision through the lens of, of three hurdles. First okay. is differentiated. The second is relevant. And finally, it's sustainable. So differentiated, do you truly offer a unique product where you could say, this is different than anything else? That's brand. When we say brand, what we really mean is different, right? right. Is this is this business podcast truly different from the other 700,000 podcasts. Okay, we clear that hurdle. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about DoorDash. DoorDash, 
um, first off, super impressive. It's up two hundred percent on the year. It's mm-hmm. its losses are its its revenues are up tripled. Its losses are headed are have declined dramatically. It is an impressive company. Obviously, food delivery has not only gone through a cyclical sugar high, but you got to think structurally. More restaurants are going to be delivering a lot more uh, food. But is right. it and differentiated? People are used to delivery now, as opposed to just New right. York. New or consumer behavior. A lot of wind in its sails across the country. But let's look at differentiated uh, against for both of them. So DoorDash mm-hmm. has Grubhub, and it mm-hmm. also has uh, Uber. I, I would argue that those three are not the moment one is charging a dollar more or a dollar less, or yeah. one restaurant picks Race one over the, the other. Bottom. I think there are substitutes here. I don't think mm-hmm. that it's highly differentiated. Whereas, uh, in my opinion, Airbnb is the most differentiated travel brand in the history of hospitality already. Yep, yep, yep. And nobody says, everyone says, well, no, booking.com. No one says, I got a booking.com. I mean, it's just, it's singular in terms of its user interface, its brand, its penetration. And if you say, well, who competes against Airbnb? A bunch of smart people will go, well, really, it's like, you know, it's like this company or this company. No, it's not. It's singular. So Airbnb wins on differentiation, relevance. They're both highly relevant, right? They're both mm-hmm. food delivery is increasingly re- relevant. Um, travel and renting renting apartments in the share economy mm-hmm. is also increasingly relevant. Sustainability, in my view, is really where Airbnb rocks here. And that is uh, they have kind of global supply and global demand. If mm-hmm. you and I wanted to start a food delivery company yeah. with 50 million bucks, we could mm-hmm. do it. We could get the restaurants. We could just subsidize, pay the restaurants, say it's zero commission, and we could yep. get raised enough demand and we could get drivers and we could start Karen Scott's um, or my, better yet, Hernan Lopez <laughs> food Stay delivery. Stay away from those guys. <laughs> Stay away from names. Anyways, we could, we could start it with, with 50 million bucks. We could not start an apartment sharing because you need global demand yep. because yep. 95% of the people. So you have, I think, a superior differentiated product with Airbnb and you have a more sustainable one. I, so they'll I, both get a pop, but I think over the long term. Can I add one here, more too? When yep. this pandemic is over, people may not go back to delivery where it has now been introduced, even though you'll get a Great bigger problem. audience. Great you point. now lots of people are going to are going to be using delivery, so they're going to get more customers than before. Um, but I don't. I think it'll I, come if, down. By the way, I live in a city. If I never get another delivery again, I'm going to be happy. After I'm going to have a year of not having deliveries and doing only going out. The way I would describe it, you're exactly right, and that is DoorDash is going public because of COVID nineteen. Mm-hmm. Airbnb is going public despite COVID-19. And on the other side for Airbnb, That's it's right. just as good. Which would you rather own when the vaccine yeah. comes? Yeah. Right? Right. So it's, uh, this is really exciting. Uh, I think it's, I, and by the way, I think they're both, they're both, even with the repricing, I think you're going to see somewhere between a 30 and 60% pop on the opening trade. Yeah. Because these companies are both iconic, disruptive companies. And so it's all become about the narrative. So, the company, the IPO, no one's talking about. The, I think will which be the, one? probably the best performing IPO the next six months. Which is? Roblox, social Roblox. gaming. So talk about that because there's Roblox, there's a firm, there's a bunch of people. Why well, so it, Roblox, may I ask? If you think about. That's 2020 probably, right? Or no, it might be the end of December. No, it's coming up in yeah. December. It's mm-hmm. in a couple of weeks. Um, yeah. and I, I want to learn more about it because gaming is mm-hmm. one of those things where I, you know, these moments of yep. engagement where you try and find things to do with your kid. I'm trying to play Fortnite with my 10 year old because he's obsessed and with it. I think it's hard for you, isn't it? It is difficult for me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think Hernan Lopez is the CEO of that All company. Right. Anyways, so <laughs> enough. <laughs> 
Okay. So anyways, but if you think about, I think the biggest trend in business that's going to reallocate trillions of dollars in, in stakeholder value is what I'm calling the great dispersion. Mm-hmm. And if you think about content and the creativity economy and the ability to take creativity and disperse it to the end users without the traditional gatekeepers of movie theaters, agents, or platforms, or handsets, or Sony, yeah. or game makers— Roblox basically has created a platform that says if you come up with a cute thing called, I think it's called Piggy or something, Mm -hmm. and it takes off, we'll give you, and it's free, and people buy additional items in the game, and uh, we'll give you a percentage of it. And it just strikes me they have created this platform that's gotten to a certain scale. Yeah, platforms. it I mean, strikes compare me compared to Zynga, which went like whoo, I don't even know what happened. I mean, that's that that's guy. a really good. But here's the thing: the other phenomena is CNBC and all of us and mm-hmm. investors and media tend to overcover and undercover mm-hmm. based on the shit they use. Everybody mm-hmm. uses DoorDash, Uber, and Google, but most of us aren't uh, on Roblox. Or Our kids firm. are, or a firm, another one by Max yeah. Levshin. He started so, PayPal, and this is a way, a different way to do credit. There's a, one in Europe that's another. I think, oh well, look at look at you want to talk about a ma- monster. Uh, a firm's going to go public in the on on the heels. It's going to draft off of Afterpay, which After has a twenty seven billion dollar market capitalization. Yeah. I just What's the one in Europe. There's one in Sweden. I visited. Well, this another. one's an Australian one. It's Nick yeah. Molnar, who's in a really yeah. impressive thirty years old. Jesus Christ! Can you get over that kid out of Australia? I had him mm-hmm. on my. Uh, Prop G podcast, but they mm-hmm. have a $27 billion market capitalization. And it's the idea of moving from a credit economy yep. to a debit economy, which I didn't understand until Nick explained it to me. But a lot of young people mm-hmm. like payments, but they don't want to go on credit and enter into this downward cycle where the the partner they're dealing with is actively encouraging them to have more and more debt. Yep. This is, all right, you can you can pay for it over four or six payments, but if you don't make those payments, we're shutting it off. You need right. to pay up. And it's right. an interesting thought. It's an interesting pivot to to a, a debit economy versus a credit economy, which I yeah, kind of There's a lot I of these like. companies. I think a firm, it's interesting because Max did a whole bunch of stuff afterwards. He did a bunch of shitty companies, really. He and I joke about it, but he's done a couple of really interesting ones since PayPal. Max, This is Max Levshin, who's behind a firm. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of really promising and interesting companies coming that are actually substantive companies. The one I would worry the most about it would be DoorDash, I'd have to say. I have this feeling people are just going to be not, it'll drop off the face of the earth. Yeah, the, the sugar use. high goes away. And at any point, if you're on the demand, if you're on the demand side or the supply mm-hmm. side, is there any real moats? If you're a restaurant or if you're a consumer, yeah, you want to get rid of that, right? Are the switching money. costs really that great for you? Yeah, you can go to any of them and you'll strike the best deal. Anyway. The other thing is, the other thing is, and I, 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 I just can't. I do think DoorDash is part of the menace economy, where it, its business model, yeah, its business model is largely uh, driven by the exploitation and arbitrage of human capital that are trying to circumvent minimum wage laws. Is that your next book, The Menace Economy? No, my next I'm glad you asked. My next book is going to be called The Algebra of Wealth, Strategies oh. for Economic and Personal Why Security. The, why don't you do another math thing? It was the algebra of happiness. Why don't you make it the, the calculus of the geometry? The geometry. There we go. Use there other, you go. other math terms. All right. So uh, just so you know, everybody, we're going to go to the next story. But uh, the last time the market hit a record, I was during the dot-com bubble in the late 1990s. Yeah. So let's put that into context. Oh, there's canaries everywhere. You want to talk about canaries? Talk about SPACs. Oh SPACs. my gosh. That shit's crazy. This is going to be. I decided to go public as a spec. I just got bought in. Someone. <laughs> well, you know who just sold him. all the rights. Another interesting story we didn't talk about. Oh, Bob oh. Dylan. Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan just sold his entire catalog. 
Yeah. It is really interesting, isn't yeah, it? We'll get to that in a second. All right, yeah, Scott, okay. let's go on a quick break. When we come back, we'll be talking streaming wars and bring on friend of Pivot, Casey Newton, to talk about Substack, which is another kind of interesting mm-hmm. trend happening in media. Scott, we're back. Let's talk about streaming war updates. Mm-hmm. Uh, we predicted this. Uh, reports that Gizmodo is saying that Warner Media is discussing launching CNN streaming service. We also talked about CNN being sold, of course, mm-hmm. launching in 2021. Uh, Warner Media's other big streaming platform also throwing down the gauntlet. HBO Max will be home to Warner Brothers' most popular movies on day one, at least through uh, since through 2021, including major releases Dune, The Matrix 4, The Suicide Squad, Space Jam, A New Legacy. It's also making new stuff, like mm-hmm. a new uh, pre-Dragon episode for Game of Thrones and mm-hmm. a new Gossip Girl uh, reboot. So uh, I wrote about that this week. I think a lot of people in Hollywood were pissed at me, apparently. Why is that? Why said, were they pissed? Time Because ha- I'm wrong. The movie theaters are going to be great. Like, <laughs> uh-huh. it's like you wish. <laughs> yeah. I, literally, someone was you like, know, well, you and they I really will saddle up wrong. and we'll take our horse over to the AMC. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like, yeah, I was right. like, AMC is worth, I could almost buy AMC at this point. Right. Um, so what, what do you think about CNN having its own streaming service? I would love that, actually. I would love to watch that. Whole uh, World's Going so. iOS Android. Fried yep. Zakaria, Anderson mm-hmm. Cooper, Christian Amanpour are, are iOS. People would pay for that. Mm-hmm. And the thing that kills CNN, two things kill CNN. Just what? absolutely kill it. What? Uh, the advertising. Opioid-induced yeah. constipation, restless leg syndrome, yeah. and to the clock. And that is they feel like they've got Moon to have— Moonpod. Have you watched Moonpod? Well, they, they feel Deceit. like they have to have 12 hours of content. And the reality right. is they have three to four hours of amazing content. And if they mm-hmm. move to subscription, they hold on. They, they keep the CNN for the masses for a while. Yeah. They monetize. They, they, yeah, soak that, they soak that thing. But slowly but surely, they put their best content— behind a wall. And it, it, ultimately, the transition is such a good one here. You get rid of the ad salespeople. I mm-hmm. hate to say that. You get rid of all the shitty advertising. Mm-hmm. And the reality is CNN at three to four hours a day of content on demand Useful. is amazing. Yeah, if I it's just amazing. had Brian Williams, I have to slog through a whole bunch. I, There's a lot of it. There's too to much. It's so not much CNN. The future CNN is. isn't about what, what, it, what it is. It's about what it is not. They need yeah. to seriously pare down Take up, take out all the crap, all the and, advertising. And bring the experts in. Bring actual reporters who are analyzing versus all these doty but, pundits. But this is like this that. is the Cheap biggest shit. This is the biggest business story I think of the last yeah. thirty days. And if you mm-hmm. look at it, so I've been thinking a lot about this. Uh, if you look at Microsoft, Netflix, and Apple. Mm-hmm. And Microsoft and Netflix recurring revenue companies, Apple busting a move to recurring revenue going from 10% to 24%. They each mm-hmm. traded approximately nine times revenues. Mm-hmm. AT&T trades, if you include its debt, it's the most indebted company in the world, it trades at two times revenues. Why? Because they've lost the script. They've mm-hmm. lost the narrative. Stocks are now a component more largely or more strongly a Story. function of their narrative versus the actual numbers. Mm-hmm. And the narrative around AT&T is one mm-hmm. thing. This acquisition didn't work. There's no synergy here. Right. And by doing this, this is a bold move. They took the 30 million, 30 million of the 180 million and said, we are going to go all in. We're going to do a baller move here. Mm-hmm. And we're going to take, sacrifice a billion dollars, a billion dollars a year in box off revenue. But here's the thing. Right now, they're trading at 2x times revenues. If they can get some of that 9x-like disruptor recurring revenue multiple, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. All they need to do, if they sign up another... 2 million to 3 million subscribers. Yes, this is likely six. It's really low. HBO Max has been really a disastrous rollout. And I think it's because they haven't gone for it. Like, I know it sounds crazy. 100%. They haven't, spent- they haven't crossed the Rubicon. And that yeah. is, but if they, if they, and they will get this, 
Mm-hmm. I, I'm all of a sudden looking, I'm all of a sudden saying, and I love HBO. I'm like, do mm-hmm. we have HBO Max? My kids are saying, do we have HBO Max? Yeah, so do mine. Wonder Woman 1984 is coming out on Christmas Day. Yeah. This is a great movie. It's almost a no-lose move. By the way, that got, it, it's gotten great reviews from previous it's supposed to be amazing. people who've seen it. It's supposed to be people amazing. People who've seen it are like gushing over it. Yeah, it's supposed to be amazing. You know, I think it's really true. I just was thinking I paid last this weekend, there's a new lesbian movie out. You should see it with Kate Winslet and uh, Saoirse Ronan. I Roman. saw it on Cinemax. Oh, wait, that was something else. <laughs> no, Never mind. No, it's called that was something else. Ammonite. Never mind. And it's wonderful. Fall. What's it called? And then Ammonite. Watch it. It's about Ammonite. it's a bunch of lesbians wandering by the ocean in Britain, picking up fossils and making out quite quite a lot, I have to say. Um, hmm. You'll like it. It was nineteen dollars, hmm. and I paid for it. I had two people in my 19. house uh, who were who were watching it. What did you buy um, it through? What charges you nineteen dollars uh, to watch? It was it was just it was like the Mulan thing. Like eventually it'll oh. be free. I just wanted to see it, um, yeah. and so uh, it was like not, it, it, I, I I was I wanted to see it early, which is interesting. But eventually, like with Wonder Woman just being on HBO, Max, I'd have to have HBO Max. I just have to yeah. have it. I have HBO, which but I that, got. That, HBO. That's my point, and that is if you think about the most accretive actions in business over the last decade, mm-hmm. we as we as business leaders, and I'm using the term we generously, ha- are brought up and have incredible training and reflex memory around it's about top line growth and bottom line growth. It's about mm-hmm. your revenue growth and it's about your EBITDA growth and then your gross margins and some other things. Mm-hmm. The most accretive actions in business history in terms of a, a dollar ad haven't been about revenue growth. They've been about pivots in business model. Right, right. The, 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 it took it took Apple forty two years to get to a trillion. It took them five months to get to two trillion because they went from nine percent to twenty four percent. Yeah. It, it, it Netflix has a two hundred twenty five billion dollar revenue uh, market here's cap. The, let me go ahead, go ahead. Yes, yes, I get your point. But what, here's what's interesting though is yep. so Disney does the Mandalorian, which is a thing that that's their current. They, they take their Star Wars franchise and add to it. Yeah. Uh, HBO is going to do a dragons thing, a prequel or whatever about oh, the dragons can't wait and for that. Game of Thrones. I know I can wait. Oh. Um, and and then uh, they're going to do a spinoff of Gossip Girl. Now, over at Netflix, they're way ahead already. They're already yep. going to the next thing, which is making this amazing content like Queen's Gambit yep. or the Tiger person or whatever it is. And now their new thing that is like a Gossip Girl is called Bridgerton by Shonda Rhimes, obviously dragged yep. Shonda Rhimes over and offered her a ton of money and freedom. And so she's making this thing that looks fantastic. It has Julie Andrews in it. It is Gossip Girl, but it yeah, it's more. It's like new stuff. And so I'm wondering if these guys can get into new stuff and not just like I don't mind them doing this this stuff, but it seems like they've got to. Are they creative enough the way Netflix oh, sure. seems way ahead of them around the track three or four times? Industry is really interesting. The Outsider, the Stephen King. I mean, HBO yeah. is still HBO yeah. still has the original DNA of being, yeah. in my opinion, the greatest collision of creativity and media in history. I'm, okay. I'm very I think a lot Netflix of is doing HBO. a lot. Like hundred so, percent. Something has gonna, happened at Netflix. Where there's going to be more than one player. Button. But from yeah. AT&T's perspective, from a shareholder perspective, mm-hmm. this is a no-lose situation because if it works and they, they, they can manage, like everyone says, okay, they're losing a billion dollars in revenue. Yeah. Uh, that type of revenue is valued at two times revenues. That adds $2 billion in stakeholder value. Yeah. If all of a sudden, here is full stop what John Stanky should say in every earnings call. Hi, my name is John Stanky. I'm CEO of the largest subscription company in the world. Mm-hmm. Full stop. I have more recurring revenue than any company in the world. Yeah. And take that multiple from 2 to 2.2 to 2.8 to 3.2. And this is the baller move they needed. And by the way, if it doesn't work, if it doesn't work, work. they just spin HBO Max with more subscribers or they sell it to someone in the Gulf or some other company with cheap. 
with uh, cheap capital right now. This is absolutely, they have lost yeah, what the I, narrative. So what do I say to these people who are, t- I really got like whacked by all these. I was like, oh, are you crazy? You're on the side of movie theaters, which were, by the way, were a shitty product for so long. Like bad theaters, too expensive, popcorn sucks, shitty way to get tickets. Like the whole experience is bad. It's like going to the doctor's office. Like you want to back those people who have no creativity and just use like gangster tactics to keep, well, stuff it's very easy in. what you tell them. You tell them they should get together with all the commercial real estate owners who claim right. everybody wants to go back to their office, and they should all take a cruise on denial, on denial. <laughs> get it? A cruise on denial? Denial. It's denial. entrenched incumbents who make mm-hmm. their living through the ecosystem yeah, of the media industrial complex are finding reasons why this is a bad idea. No, it's not. It's a baller fucking move. It's, they and have to renegotiate all their deals with stars because it was a lot based on box office, right? Like everything has to be redone. That's That's what someone told me. I'm like, so your point being, you know, everyone had to stop using phone booths and desks, desk phones. Like, I don't care. Like, I don't care. Yeah, and and there are are real risks to this. Mm -hmm. The the agent, the agencies, which are incredibly strong at managing human capital Mm -hmm. are trying to figure out, uh, do we have incentives around this now? Right. Steven Spielberg might not want to do this. So Mm -hmm. there are are definite downsides and risks. In the short term, you're going to lose EBITDA. When COVID goes away, the theaters might have, you might see Revenge of the Empire or The Empire Strikes Back. You might find TV uh, theaters do have a bit of a resurgence and, Mm -hmm. and go with the studios that have doubled down on their legacy partners. At the end of the day, this is an accelerant. Movie theaters have sucked for 20 years. Mm-hmm. They have, think about the innovation that's taking None. place in your Someone living like, room I, like, I versus said that. the on, theater. On, on, I said, what's the innovation? They're like seats. I'm like, you're kidding me. I was like, layback seats. THX, is your whole- 1988. That was the last big innovation. And, home, and then they were like, oh, poor people can't go to, uh, to, um, draft house or theaters. No, no, oh. no. Can't go to home. Can't get big. Th- I was like, screens cost have declined oh drastically in price. And those chairs are really inexpensive. You can and wallpaper movie theaters, your house and TVs for less than it costs it, in paneling but, right now. But, and then movie tickets have gone up like amazingly. Like, what are you talking about? You, you think t- movie tickets? Anyway, so it was really, and yeah. also the popcorn sucks. So, Last question. Before this is we the get biggest move. Uh, it so is. just AT and T has yeah. consistently gone Keep down. Going. It's gonna it it's it's gonna hit a new fifty two week high uh, in in uh, the next twelve months. This is a baller move. Well, There's no is. downside here. Great so movie move. releases. They say it's oh they're trying really hard. As I said in the column, to say it's just a one year off. I was like, it's not. Well, a this one. gives them an out. It's it not. gives them an out, but this is over. This is done. They sell to movie theaters, and they should, but movie theaters should improve. They should get better. They should do Alamo Draft House, that kind of stuff that's experiential, make it better, and not just sucky, shitty. I hate going to movies now, except if it's Alamo Draft House or something that's pleasant and it's an evening out. And even then, it's like expensive. It's a grocery store. I mean, it's yeah. just not, it, or, but it's not even, a, it's not a Whole Foods. It's going mm-hmm. to, you know, Vons or, I don't know, Publix. And you just think, do I really need to keep doing this? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's probably the wrong analogy. But mm-hmm. it's, it's this is a, a fundamental change. And AT&T, kudos to them for, this was a baller move. This yeah. was, this was. exactly what Jason, I'm trying to get Jason Clark. I'm interviewing him soon today. And yeah. I'm going to try to get him to say, did you call the code red? Because he'll be like, oh, movie theater. You know, they're trying really nicely to be nice to movie theaters. But I want him to say, yes, I called the code red. Remember, that's from Few Good Men. 
Jack Nicholson yelling at Tom oh, Cruise. You are ready for the truth, or you can't handle the <laughs> you truth. You can't handle the truth. Did yeah. you call the code red? You're damn sure I called the code. I want him to do that. That's what yeah. I'm going for. He called the code red. Anyway, we are fascinating people today, I have to say. Uh, but let's bring on an even more fascinating person, our friend of Pivot today, Casey Newton. The yeah. hair has fantastic hair, but he yes. also is the editor of Platformer, a newsletter about tech and democracy. Before, he was an established journalist at The Verge, uh, but recently left to go to work for himself on Substack. Casey, welcome to Pivot. Hello to the big dog and the jungle cat. It's lovely to see you. Lovely to see you. Go so there you, there you are in that go lovely on, rental that you have there in San Francisco. That's you probably my, have a my great landlord place. is a real bear, but it's a, the place is nice. <laughs> All right, here's the deal: you've been working at home for the for the COVID in a lovely place, I might add. Um, but you, what? Why did you do this? Explain Substack for there's so many journalists doing it now. It's crazy, and which it reminds me of what I did uh, ten years ago in that very cottage you're in, which is I did my business out of that cottage. But go ahead. Yeah, I mean, um, wait, were I you guys some... married? What the fuck is going on he here? He lives in my cottage, and that's where I started all <laughs> he things. He lives D. in your cottage. He does in San Francisco. Yes, oh. he rents it from me. <laughs> I started all things D in that cottage. That's started so uncomfortable. Let, let to, that's listen, like, that's literally the worst episode of Big Brother ever imagined. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a very, it would be a very fun episode. <laughs> um, Scott, let him talk. Let I'm him sorry, Casey. Oh, what I, is Substack? What is Substack? Let's yeah, start there. Explain for the people. Uh, Substack is a platform that lets readers support journalism directly. That's how mm -hmm. I think about it. Mm -hmm. You know, look, we know that a giant subscription-based uh, newsroom like the New York Times or the Washington Post can work. We know that a big scaled-up digital um, uh, network like Vox can work. But at the same time, we've lost 10,000-plus journalism jobs in America alone this year. We need to find another path forward. And something that we're seeing across the internet is people are now willing to fund their favorite creators directly. You see mm -hmm. it on YouTube. You see it on Twitch. You see it on OnlyFans. All I'm doing is trying to take Patreon? that model, apply it to journalism. We're seeing it on Patreon. Patreon was a real Cameo? Um, a I just pioneer in that space. Today. Cameo is doing great. So this is the journalism equivalent of that. I love writing about the tech industry and democracy. I want to do it forever. Substack is letting me create a, a more sustainable future. So explain the technicality of what you're doing. So here you are being a journalist. You're writing for The Verge. You got paid a salary, and then you wrote a whole bunch of stories, some of which were fantastic. The, the, the content... Uh, Moderator story was really it just like blew up that whole some of it issue. some of it All right. was fantastic <laughs> anyway, some of it great drills here this is what everybody did you like worked your way up to get here from yeah. Arizona wherever the hell you started yeah um, so talk about what it took to do that and then explain the technicalities of it. I mean like uh, I could describe it a lot of different ways but one way to think about it is just Twitter happened right mm -hmm. and so the, it used mm -hmm. to be if one of my favorite journalists left a publication it was like they died because I would visit that that web that publication's homepage every day and then you know once the the critic or whoever I read left I just stopped reading them Nowadays, I get my news from Twitter, and so if I go to a new publication, you're still following me. The link just goes to a different place. And so over 10 years, I built up 100,000 Twitter followers, and if I have news to break, people click the link. They don't care where I work. They just want the news. Mm -hmm. So I was able to ha have a portable audience, and because my audience is portable now, it just gives me a lot more freedom and flexibility than journalists have ever had before. So what do you walk, walk through ahead. the economics? Yeah. So uh, what do you charge? How do people pay? How much does Substack get? Yeah. 
So the economics of it are super interesting. The way that it works is Substack takes a 10% cut in order mm-hmm. to you know fund the, the content management system. Uh, the way that my business works is I write four newsletters a week. One of those is free to whoever wants to subscribe. You go to platformer.news, you can get it for free. Uh, but if you want the other three updates that I'm sending throughout the week, you pay me either 10 bucks a month or a hundred bucks a year. Mm-hmm. And you know, that is a lot of money to some people, but many of my customers can expense mm-hmm. it. Um, I've had corporations buy group subscriptions for their, mm-hmm. for their teams. Um, and you know, a question that I often get is like, well, what about subscription fatigue? You know, mm-hmm. are people mm-hmm. fatigued? And if you're Quibi and you spend a billion dollars on content and you need 20 million people to make your money back, then yeah, subscription fatigue is real because it's hard to complete, compete with Netflix and Hulu. But if you're me and all I have to do is pay the rent in Kara Swisher's cottage, if I can find 3,000 people to pay me 100 bucks a year, I have one of the best jobs in journalism. Right. So the economics for the individual creator are actually amazing. Yeah, if they create co- really good content. I mean, like Ben yeah. Thompson did this for a while. There's a whole bunch of people who've done this. And in a lot of ways, we went to WordPress. I remember going, deciding between journal, whatever, live journal. Mm-hmm. Or, or WordPress was the way we did it. And we, of course, had an advertising business when we should have had a subscription business, but yeah. people weren't ready to do it. And Jessica Lesson did it with the information. Yeah. Um, so what is it like? Were you scared? What was the... Oh, completely. I mean, I, I love my job at The Verge. I work with some of my best friends. I ha- you know, I mean, I, I got paid a great salary. Um, and so there was no pressing reason to do it. But, you know, then the pandemic happened. I was waking up every day in this cottage and writing a newsletter. I knew that if I went independent, my day-to-day would look the same. Some aspects of the job would be harder. But all of a sudden, as an individual, I had an uncapped upside, right? Like I was at a point, you know, at Vox where like if I wanted a raise, I was going to have to go do something crazy amazing to ever get a raise again mm-hmm. of, of any significance. But by going to Substack, Fucking all of a bank sudden- off. That's how I feel. <laughs> no, that's, that that's is, how I that feel. That is no diss to Jim Bingo. Like everyone in boxes. <laughs> Who do I have amazing. to blow around here to get healthcare? <laughs> Who do I have to blow? Seriously. <laughs> At the end of the day, like, there is just a cap. I am not above that, Casey. I oh, am not above me, that, I know. just so you know. I've, I've read the reviews of this podcast. Um, Plus, he's but, cheap, too. He'd do it for but, a very well, but, little. But look, I mean, Sorry. set aside any individual media company, there's just always going to be a limit on how much they're going to want to pay you, right? Like, mm-hmm. who is worth $300,000 to a media company? Very, very few people. But if $3,000 will pay me 100 bucks, then I'm worth three hundred dollars So I just thought can I make a bet on myself that over like a 10 year period, I could attract 3000 subscribers and two months into it, I'm, I'm already well on my way. So wow. this model can't work for everybody, but I do think it can so be an alternative and a compliment to existing systems. What do you do systems. about things like that companies provide? Were they helpful, like healthcare, libel insurance, things like yeah. that? Yeah. So a uh, great question. And those are two places where Substack is helping out. And this is why to me, they're worth the 10% that, uh, that I'm paying them. On the healthcare mm-hmm. front, uh, they help me figure that out. They work with another company, which is called Savvy. You know, And when I started on Substack, they set me up with Savvy. I filled out some forms online. Uh, Substack is also giving me a small healthcare subsidy, at least for the first year. Um, But like I have healthcare now, that part of my life is taken care of. It really hasn't been a big deal. On the legal front, they have uh, a legal defender program. And what they've said is that if if I get sued by a litigious billionaire, Mm -hmm. they will step in and protect me up to a million dollars. Now, candidly, that is more of a gentleman's agreement than a a, a Mm -hmm. signed in stone type of deal. But, you know, it's in Substack's interest not to let their writers get sued into oblivion. So Mm -hmm. those are, you know, two of the main reasons why people have been afraid to go independent in the past and Substack is trying to make that easier. 
All right. So let me ask you, Shin, so why do you think so many are doing it? Now, there are, speaking of fatigue, you know, Eric Newcomer did. This is just in tech. There's a whole, everyone, every five minutes, seems like someone starts a sub stack. And a lot of them are not. Eric, you should use his too. It's, it focuses on venture Eric capital. He's great, amazing. Yeah. He's, he was an amazing reporter on venture capital and I would pay for him. But what, what, what happens when there's, two, there are two, when it gets so, so many of them. And then the ones on Substack are all conservative or the top ones, right? Don't they? Are you, have you broken the top 10 yet? Uh, no, I'm, I'm not in the t- top 10 yet. Uh, so it'd be great if your readers subscribe again at platformer.news. Um, but look, your, your question is fair. I, I don't think that everyone is going to succeed here. Uh, the way that a lot of these platformers work is that the top creators wind up soaking up like 80% of the profits right. and, you know, for everybody else, it's just kind of a, um, a little bonus revenue. Um, but at the same time, we're at the very beginning of this. And again, I really think people should look at what is happening at some of the other consumer internet properties. OnlyFans is going absolutely bananas right now. That mm-hmm. is going to be a unicorn in about 10 minutes. Look at how right. much money people are making on Twitch, on YouTube, on Patreon. The next generation that Cameo. is coming up is willing to pay for content. And no one of those person is going to have 10 subscriptions to creators that they want. But people forget how big the internet is. There mm-hmm. are a lot of people who can go find their 3,000 people and I think that's really exciting. Mm-hmm. It's so, he's so it, passionate it, now. Casey's so passionate. I love it. He's really like, oh, no, I have awesome. a it's, It really is. It's, Do it's you feel per- better? I, I, I feel great. I mean, look, I, I had a really great week last week. Uh, this is actually a, a story worth telling. So I had a scoop last week. I, I got an mm-hmm. email um, in, in this case regarding Timnit Gebru, this prominent AI researcher who uh, got fired from Google. Google says she resigned. It seems pretty clear that she was pushed out. And I happened to get the email that she had sent to this internal listserv before anyone else. Um, the post on my own little tiny Substack now has over 350,000 page views and 50 people signed up and become pay- paid subscribers overnight just because they wanted to see what I was going to have to say about it in my edition. So the the scoop I sent out to everyone for free, the analysis uh, was, was something that people had to pay for, and they did. Think about being a journalist, Kara. How amazing would it be I if every time this. you had a scoop, you got a $5,000 raise? Like, I'd that's so the world rich. that I'm living in now. So it's a, it's a yeah. pretty exciting time to be a journalist. Yeah, it's like it's like a podcasting, Scott. <laughs> yeah. Or, or early days, early days podcasting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're the Joe Rogan of this maybe. But we we were just talking about the fact that it's giving creativity the opportunity to bypass the uh, the, the traditional gatekeepers. Like I think about people don't people didn't need Jeffrey Katzenberg to tell them what kind of creativity they wanted. Right. And it didn't fail. Now there's the technology and the platforms and also a, a Substack 10% versus Apple at 30%. But this is ridiculously fucking hard. I mean, I hear I put out one post a week, and it's like it's a monkey on my back. Four posts a week. Oh my gosh! He was doing also, it anyway. Yeah, but this is what's going to happen. I mean, platforms are still really powerful. They have they have declined in power, but they'll be. I think you're exactly right. It, what it's basically doing is it's saying, all right, let's take the two or three best players in every newsroom, and they get to go free agent. And they get to make more money. 95%, uh, I think, of content creators, and I'm curious if you think this is true, Casey and Carrie, you're on the field, are still better off at a platform because yeah. they need that halo and they need that distribution. Yeah. Yeah, although another way of thinking about it might be that maybe there winds up being like a life cycle of a content creator and early in your life cycle, you're hugely incentivized to become associated with a big publisher because they're going to give you that initial distribution. They're going <laughs> to help you build up an audience. They're going to you know, help you become a better writer, reporter, podcaster 
investor, all that sort of thing. But then once you develop that audience, like I think that audience is going to remain portable, right? Your Twitter followers are always going to belong to you. Mm -hmm. And so the people who excel in those, I think later in their careers will be able to step out and have Mm -hmm. more options. Yeah, I think it's probably true. Both things can be true at the same time. Although I do, when I look at some of the people now signing, I've seen like a dozen this past two weeks. I'm like, lazy, lazy, boring, boring. Like, you know what I mean? Like, lazy and boring is like more the rule than the exception with a lot of people, except for people like you and others. And again, get back to the idea that who's popular on Substack right now are people who have a much more conservative, which makes sense. You know what I mean? Because like, look at someone like uh, Dan Boing. He's not on Substack, is he? He's Boingo. Uh, Dan Bongino is not on on Substack. But others are. Others are there. Yeah, I, I mean, he just went by himself, Dan Bongino, right? Um, yeah, he. I mean, he has kind of a, a whole media empire, and you know, some of the the top Substackers. Yeah, I mean, I think you're probably talking about Glenn Greenwald, uh, Matt Taibbi, um, Andrew Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, they do have some more conservative ideas. I think they also have some pretty mainstream liberal I- yes. ideas as well. Like, it, I, I, you know, it, the, the, I hope you're not implying that the Substack is becoming like the platform no, of the alt right or something. Yeah, but you know what it is. It's I simple. Think I see it, why it would work. The contrarians, yeah. I guess. I'll yeah, call them. exactly. The gatekeepers, whether it's whether it's Time Warner or whether it's Spotify or whether it's name the biggest media companies in the world are largely populated. The decision makers are populated by wealthy, urban, college-educated people who skew liberal. And the mm-hmm. reality is there was a huge white space around people wanting conservative content in this direct-to-consumer. It's say. happened in podcasting. The reality, mm-hmm. I mean, we hate to admit this. But there is an enormous liberal bias, and you can't ignore the fact that the market is soaking up conservative content because it's not finding it to tr- the traditional distribution channels filled by people who went to McGill or Northwestern School of Journalism and now live in New York. They're like, no, well, I want different types of content. I do think in areas like Casey's, specific areas, it's very helpful. So what? how do you say, look, look, compete with the information, which does a broad brush on lots of things? And that they, she's, yeah. Jessica Lesson, very pioneered the subscription part of it. Yeah. Everyone sort of made fun of her for a while. And she's built a very big newsroom. That you're just one guy. Do you see right. adding more? You have to go specific, right? Yeah. No, you have to go really niche. That, that's exactly it. Like I love the information. I think they've done incredible work. They break a lot of news about the the beat that I cover. Um, but they do that once a week, once mm-hmm. every two weeks, right? Mm-hmm. If you want to know what happened today, and you work at Facebook or Google or Twitter or Snap. You want one place where you can go and be confident that you know everything you need to sound smart when your CEO asks you what's going on the next day, right? right. So yeah. the the opportunity is to go niche and it's to provide utility. Like something that I get a little bit frustrated about is when you see who's at the top of this leaderboard. It often is people who are not doing a lot of original reporting, who are mm-hmm. not really providing a lot of, of service to their readers. It's just, you know, it, it, it's punditry. And, you know, I, I do my share of that as well. Um, but I think the the opportunity here is actually to reinvent trade publications and create very small, you know, not newsrooms, but maybe Scooby gangs of five or six people who are all bringing in their own subscription revenue, but sharing some costs on the back end. And they can go really deep, really niche and create a lot of value well, for, wasn't for the Axios industries. kind of that, except an advertising base. I mean, it's well, interesting because yeah. there's all these different cuts at this stuff. And one of the things that I worry about, not just you, but everyone else, like you get sick. That's that. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, sure. There, there are definitely some risks here. If I were, you know, incapacitated for for months at a time, you know, that that would be really difficult. Um, you know, you could definitely imagine ways that this thing could go badly. But I am really inspired by people like Ben Thompson, who's been doing this for something like seven years, and uh, you know, has created an incredible business. Um, well, he gives value. He doesn't pundit. He has like he has insightful thoughts. I don't know. If yeah, he does reporting I, I got to be honest. I'm a, I'm a little bit worried in that cottage. I see a lot of candles and a lot. Of whippets. Too soon. Too soon. Too soon. Very soon. Don't. Too soon. Man, don't. Too soon. No, too soon. Okay. In any case, so uh, he's an innovator. Let's let's treat him differently. Anyways, go ahead. Scott, we can make fun of Princess Diana, but don't make fun of an innovator. You already made. He sold shoes over the internet. That means he's our Jesus Christ. He's our Jesus Christ. Oh my God! Oh my God! You know, we just apologized at the beginning of this for a mistake. You're going to be doing another correction coming our way. (laughs) Another apology. You know what? Just knock it out of the park. Knock them out of the park, Casey. So, what advice? I have one more question. Scott will have one ridiculous question after me. But what advice do you have for someone starting a subject and? Also, be honest with people like who want to yeah. do it. It's like everyone suddenly has a. When everyone started doing podcasts, same thing. I and they all failed. All the ones I knew were going to fail failed. And I was like, lazy, boring. Don't understand. It's a marathon. I mean, what I would say to people is, it is hard to get people to pay you for your opinion about anything. Or and recording. so, if your vision for your business starts with people paying you for your opinion, I would think differently about it. You mm-hmm. have to be providing original reporting, analysis, insight, make charts, do math for people. There has to be service or utility if you want to make it work over the long term. In my opinion, mm-hmm. and it is hard. Um, but you know, journalists like we shouldn't shy away from hard things. There are really good businesses to be built here, and journalists are so pessimistic because they've been they've spent mm-hmm. twenty years getting kicked in the face. They don't think they think everything is always going to fail and nothing is going to work. And it's time for some people to try some new stuff. Who do you sound like? Perhaps your landlord. How many lectures do we have? Listen, in the there's about a lot this? of entrepreneurialism <laughs> in the bones of this cottage, and it has <laughs> infected me by osmosis. We've had so many discussions about this. You took a while for you to do this, but I think you it's like you have get, a unique. You guys literally should just get married. Listen, um, we are married. He's we my are. Butler. We are. So Casey, <laughs> last question. Well, it's not. I, tell me if you think this is going to happen. This is what I think is going to happen. I think there's going to be sub sub stacks, and that is, I think you and Ben Thompson and Sam Harris are going to decide that we can. Uh, it'll be easy. Uh, Ten bucks for your stuff, really niche. Ten bucks for a collection of thoughtful tech reporters, no brainer. And you'll start to see almost like a hybrid between. And what you're saying really resonates. You know, the reason why I was thinking about why is the New York Times, in my view, the New York Times is the most bulletproof media company in the world. Facebook and Google could get disrupted through technology. New York Times, two-thirds of its revenue subscription and all of that. Whenever I do anything on the New York Times, a different person calls me and fact checks everything. And I'm like, that shit is hard and expensive. And what you're doing, actual reporting and rigorous reporting, you know, that whole journalism thing. Is actually hard and over the long term pays off. But do you think that over time you end up sub sub stacking, connecting sub, with three or four other people? Yes. So I think the long term future, again, it's not newsrooms, it's Scooby Gangs. Five or six people in a mystery van traveling the Scooby country gangs? doing is journalism. That what you call it? Yeah. Is that an yeah. actual term? Scooby- yeah. Who are you? This is, this is my thing. You're That's shaggy. hilarious. Scooby Dooby Doo, where are you? We got some work to do now. I'm Shaggy. Yeah, I'm, totally the, I'm, I'm tall and uh, I'm Velma. laconic. You, you're a total. Oh, you're a total Daphne, Kara. No, Don't no say Daphne. No. Daphne's yeah. stupid. No, I'm Velma. The, but here, here's the question, though, Scott. And I, I'm sure you probably have some like Scott great thoughts is on this. It's like. 
but how, how did the economics work out though, right? Like, you know, if you have one creator who's like making 300K a year in subscriptions and they want to bring someone in who's maybe just getting started, how do you make it pencil out? How do you set it up so that over time, everyone benefits more than they would otherwise? And so I think the kind of design of those bundles is um, is a great opportunity for someone to solve and tell me how to do it. Oh, I yeah. have another question. In this John Mattel kind of, tried to do that, if you remember, a hundred oh. years ago. This kind of brings some of my two favorite things and why people come here to one, it's an insightful question and two, it's it's very narcissistic because it's about me. <laughs> so I have a quarter of a million subscribers to my No Mercy, No Malice blog on Friday. If I put it behind Substack, give me the conversion. What, give me your best estimate of what it would convert to. 10 bucks a month, I have a quarter of a million. And if all of a sudden on next Friday, I said, sorry, I'm stu- I've gone Substack and joined my friend Casey. Would that convert to 1,000, 5,000, 100? What does it convert to? You could expect anywhere between like three and seven percent conversion. I'm three guessing. Wait, let, me do, likes, yeah. let me do the math. I'm sorry, Kara. I'm leaving you. <laughs> I'm goodbye. leaving you. See Is ya. there any room in that cottage, you <laughs> sexy beast? You need me, Scott. We're darling. the Substack couple. We're Substacking. I in am Kara's a match to your kerosene, my friend. Wait, I'm sorry. You said three to seven thousand. You said three, three to seven percent. I think right, is okay. probably what you could expect. I mean, once a week is a pretty low frequency. Low um, but you're lazy, what? is what he's telling you. Scott. But here's the 100%. thing: you you have a podcast, and you're selling your personality. There are many thousands of people who feel like they have a close personal relationship with you, even though you've never met them. And you can absolutely turn that into a subscription that will pay a lot of bills for you. So that is True. real. Let's go. Scott, Kara let's go. Swisher and Scott Galloway's <laughs> new agent, Casey Newton. Seriously. Jim Bancoff's going to fucking kill us. Literally. Like, what the fuck are we doing here? On his show. <laughs> I came here to end Pivot, so hopefully I've succeeded. <laughs> All right. Kara, Kara and I would like to announce that this is our yes. final series finale. <laughs> Thank you very much for tuning in. No, we're gonna, if we go out, we're going out big. Okay. By just... the way, that's not going to be a cottage. It's going to be a fat fucking crib after we go sub sub stack. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, Scott, all right, Casey. How can people get to you? And, oh, hey, but let me ask you yeah, one: What yeah. is the scary part for you? What is the uh, what made you do it? Because you and I have literally yeah. we've sat in my kitchen, which is right yeah. across from the cottage, and I've encouraged you to be entrepreneurial. What was yeah. what was the thing that moved it besides my incredible mentorship? The scary part was stepping away from the machinery of a giant media company that existed just to promote me and solve all of my, like, you know, healthcare and and whatever other administrative issues, right? Yeah. Taking a big leap and then just hoping that some strangers are going to pay me money, right? That's Mm -hmm. not, journalists are just not trained to believe that that is going to work. And you see in the commentary about Substack, most people say that this is never going to work, right? Like, people are very negative about it. So (laughs) all of that was scary. What pushed me to do it was the dang pandemic right? I am living like a retiree. I My bills have never been lower. I only buy groceries and that's like my entire life. And it's going to be that way for the next four or five months. So At if least. I was ever going to to choose to start a business, this was going to be the moment. And I just thought, what the heck? Let's, let's try it. What the heck? You see, he says heck and not hell. That's why he's such a nice man. <laughs> but that is, you know what? That's a silver lining with all this. Recessions and change yeah. are tremendous for entrepreneurs. H-E um, double toothpick. What the H-E double toothpick? Yeah. What are you talking about? Is this more Hell. like wife husband talk that no one else understands? <laughs> you guys know we are recording for the whatever. <laughs> what? All right. Anyway, the 160,000 people who people don't pay for this show. Get, <laughs> t- Casey, yeah. t- tell you, you people can, how. You can find it. 
to get this. You can find Platformer at platformer.news. You can sign up for free and you can hear from me once a week. And if you like it, you can subscribe and pay more. You should. Casey, yeah. I, I got to tell you, your writing's better since you've done this. I got oh, It's you, really Kara. good. You did an amazing thing on Slack. You did. Thank you. It's much, it's about, it's you. It's you. It's yeah. the Casey show and it should be. And I have yeah. to say, it's it's even better than your previous newsletter, which I did Congratulations, Casey. Thank right. you, guys. I Thank love Thank you. you, Casey. Bye. Bye. Okay, Scott, isn't he the best? Okay, one more. I had no idea. This guy is, I don't know if he's your lover, your son. I had no idea you guys were this close. (laughs) He's my my dad. Look at you're giddy. You're laughing. (laughs) No, I'm not. He's my blushing. You know what? I'm glad he did this because he's an incredible talent and he needs to be entrepreneurial. He's a talented young man, no doubt about it, with good hair. Okay, we'll be one more quick break. We'll be back for wins and fails. Okay, Scott, wins and fails. What? Uh, give me some. Give me some. Give me some. Do you have any? Oh, just Rudy Giuliani no? making being a super spreader. I feel bad no? he's sick, but honestly, he was like jetted to the best healthcare at Georgetown. Shut down the Arizona legislature. He shut down the Arizona legislature. No. He told people to take off their masks in Michigan. This yeah. guy, what the? F- yeah. What the fuck is going on here? Like, what is? I'm not celebrating him. I hope he gets better, and I hope he doesn't die of this. But honestly. The kind of bad juju he puts out there to people is just incredibly irresponsible. Just he's he's literally like typhoid Mary of this this whole thing, and I just think it's just gross. All right, that's my fail. Uh, my win, uh, my win. There's so many wins. I'm trying to think. Uh, well, Cobra Kai on Netflix. I love oh, it's it. not adorable. Cobra Kai. Oh, yes, it's, it's so good. It's so cheesy. And it's so Ralph predictable. Macchio You're like, you get other... angry and you can't you can't help but watch the next one. You're we like, maybe they seven. shouldn't be friends. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they just yes. keep becoming friends to upset each other. Anyway. Yes, exactly. The it's, whole it's thing really is great. Cute. It's cheap. You know, it, and everything is telegraphed. There's nothing that you don't know is coming. Like Amanda, who's got a higher taste than I, I like a lot of this mm-hmm. stuff. She, we sucked up six episodes like that. And at one point she's like, kick the boba, kick the boba. I know you're going to yeah. kick the boba. And he kicked the boba, of course. But it was yeah. like... Anyway, that really struck, yeah, so like, really pulls on my heartstrings. I, w- I was raised by a single mother in Encino, and mm-hmm. there's so many, like, Reseda Boulevard. Oh, and Reseda, I mean, oh, you were? You are the karate kid without yeah, the karate. Yeah, I, uh, I was a kid with the good hair, except not nearly as handsome. Uh, wow. Anyways, or talented athletically. But other than that, we're, it's, it's the story of me. So, uh, my win is uh, when you go to subscription revenue, you mm-hmm. have to cross a valley of death and it requires leadership yeah. and it requires um, you know, a dramatic commitment to going all in on something. And AT&T has done that. So my, my win is the baller move of saying to shareholders, all right, this is the future we're going all in. And there's so many reasons not to. So John Stanky and Jason Kalar, is that how you say his Kylar. name? Kylar. Mm-hmm. Kylar, excuse me. Lopez, is that right? Lopez. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, anyways, AT&T is my win. My loss is uh, CNBC. So Joe Kiernan mm-hmm. gets into it with Andrew Ross Sorkin, who, by the way, I think will be senator from New York someday, mm-hmm. gets into it and says, you we overreacted. When we have 50,000 deaths, Joe Kiernan is accusing Andrew Ross Sorkin of overreacting to COVID-19. And here we are, 270,000. Yeah. Hey, Joe, still think we were overreacting? Anyways. Yeah. And that then Rick guy. Santelli comes on and says... I'm not a doctor, but I'm not going to tell people that uh, talking about going into retailers. And they have determined, the scientists, that retailers don't have the same density, don't have, they have better air circulation than restaurants. And Mm -hmm. we found out there's some crazy research that says that perhaps up to 80% Mm -hmm. of infections are going through full service cafes, restaurants, hotels, gyms. 
and um, what was the fifth one? And was it restaurants? Anyway, churches, just, probably churches. Tr- I'm sorry, places of worship. Thank mm-hmm. you for the win. Because you spend time in there. It's the amount of time. But here's the scary thing. It's not that Joe Kiernan and Rick Santelli are are don't get it. That's that's dangerous. What's scary here is clearly the fact that this has happened twice means that CNBC has decided that okay, Fox isn't killing enough people. But more importantly, more importantly, our viewership is these old white male Republicans who want to hear us get angry about their rights. Mm -hmm. This is an institutional. Enterprise-wide decision on the part of CNBC, it is irresponsible, it is reckless, and will result in death and disability. Fucking shame on you, CNBC. This shit doesn't happen by accident twice. Mm-hmm. This doesn't happen twice. And it's also Sorkin. Twice. Thank you, Sorkin, actually. I think he did uh, a good job pushing I back. think Andrew was more dignified and more patient in that exchange, but I can't <laughs> help but understand. I can't help but believe if this Why happens once— if if they didn't send out a memo after that Kiernan bullshit saying, FYI, we're here to talk about stocks. We probably shouldn't be pretending that we're epidemiologists, especially yeah. a bunch of guys, white guys in their 70s who are Trumpers. Maybe we should just avoid the topic. The fact that had it a, they did it a second time, they're like, you can tell the producers are in the room with their hands over their eyes and their ears, similar to kind of a Sheryl Sandberg, Mark Zuckerberg move saying, yeah, this is bad for the world, but you know what? Ka-ching. Our advertisers and the guy with the oxygen tank telling his wife to buy more Amazon, who is our who is our audience, they love this shit. So let's go at it. Well, guess what? You are putting the health of the nation at risk for dollars. This wasn't an accident. The first right. time this, that was Scott. Aaron Joe Kernan. The second time, CNBC, you are doing this on purpose. Stop it. Just stop it. Stop it. I'd agree with you. It was gross. It was gross. It was gross and disappointing on so many levels. It sounded so indignant. I like it. I like it. It's fair. It's fair. It's bullshit. This is bullshit. This whole thing, this whole faking that it's not happening is bullshit. People are dying. Stop it. You can do small things in the interest of public health, including being accurate on on broadcast networks. That is absolutely true. Scott, I love it when you're indignant. It's my favorite, Scott. Anyway, speaking of which, uh, Stephanie Rule, as we said, had uh, COVID. She wrote, a, did a really blistering piece uh, this week, Very this good. morning when she came back. Yeah. And we're going to have her on next week to talk about it because she was talking about the economic implications, which Stephanie had already been talking about. So uh, she's going to talk about her recovery and also what what it means to the economy because that's what she talks about. Anyway, we're, we hope she feels better. And we're so sorry her whole family got sick. Um, okay, Scott, we made it to December and neither of us have been sick, which is amazing. Oh, um, gosh, and don't even say that. Got, but please be, I know that. I know, I know. It's, you know what? Please be careful. Everybody try your, this is a really dangerous time. And so, um, think really hard about every choice you make. Um, even, even if you're, you've been careful, be more careful. If you haven't been careful, you know. I would say go fuck start. yourself. <laughs> start. start. First, I'd say go fuck yourself. And then I've had some very difficult discussions with some relatives, including my mom, about this, about not coming for Christmas if she can't get in line and stuff like that. So anyway, have those difficult decisions and and because it's worthwhile. Anyway, as a reminder, we love the listener mail questions. We're trying something new. Go to newyorkmag.com slash pivot to submit your question for the Pivot Podcast. The link is also in our show notes. Scott, read us out in this fantastic show. Today's show was produced by Rebecca Sinanis, Fernando Finate engineered this episode. Erica Anderson is Pivot's executive producer. Thanks also to Hannah Rosen and Drew Burrows. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or, frankly, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Thanks for listening. 
to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media. We'll be back later this week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. Wonder Woman 1984. Kara, can we agree that 1984 was only 20 years ago? Doesn't it feel like it was just 20 years ago? No, I got to go to college then. That was a good time, 1984. I'm excited for them to be bringing back um, all kinds of 1984 things. There you go. Including Have a great rest packs. of the week. I'm excited about fanny packs. 